All right, guys. Uh, today we have what I think is our most highly sought-after guest. Uh, when we first started the podcasting, one thing we wanted to do was get a sports psychologist on here. Uh, luckily for us, we were able to find one in uh, Dr. Neff here, who's a sports psychologist. He received his Ph.D. from Maculata. Yeah. And uh, your undergrads from uh, my alma mater as well, which is Penn State. And, uh, you know, maybe it might be worthwhile to kind of dive into, you know, you said you changed majors, but how did you get into sports psychology? Yeah, yeah, great, great question. Um, so what, what got me into sports psychology was my own performance anxiety issues. Uh, so, you know, undergrad, you know, being a baseball player, a player that, you know, just everybody has that dream to try to make it to the major leagues and um you know sophomore year developed this inability to throw the baseball um you know 60 feet six inches i was a pitcher somebody i could throw you know mid high 80s low 90s sometimes and come back from the holiday break get on the mound try to hit that catcher the ball about 10 feet over the catcher's head ricocheting off the cinder blocks everybody's looking around like what the heck is is happening you're just doing uh, your best randy johnson impression <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, get the get the ball back well, okay all right whatever you know next pitch about 10 feet in front of the catcher now everybody's looking like what the heck? what is going on and now my i'm starting to question myself and get the ball back the third time and again it just sails over the the, the catcher's head you know i get toss you know get out you know what, what's going on what's your problem you know I was a, a athlete you know high school growing up like I you know my, my parents were, were tough they, they pushed myself my brother you know my sister um, to be the best version of our, ourselves and so I liked being pushed I liked that being yelled at um, the coaches knew that um, all growing you know as I kind of went up through through all the different sports and my college coach knew that and you know, the yelling, but I knew something was different this time. I knew it wasn't about my effort or my focus. Something wasn't right. And go through all, I get my arm checked out, get everything checked out. Medically, I'm, I'm okay. A little bit of strain in the elbow, but nothing that I can't throw a baseball 60 feet, six inches. Right. And so, you know, at the time I had started pre-med, my, I really wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, when I was 12, tore my knee up pretty good, little league, international tournament, trying to get the women's support again, everybody, all, all the you know, young kids dreamed to get there. Got caught in the, between the rubber and the, you know, where the pitcher digs the hole out. And I turned, top half went, my leg stayed. Um, so I could feel the, I can remember, I f could feel the, the tear, but you know, my mom, dad, hey, suck it up, get out, back out there, put a brace on. My mom was, you know, she's a nurse, and we, we, you know, she got me in. Her and my dad worked at a um, manor care, and they had me come into the Whirlpool tub. I was getting treatments and, um, you know, went out, and I finished the season. But after the season, obviously met with the orthopedic surgeon and going into the office, crutch signed by Randall Cunningham, basketball signed by Charles Barkley, and these are guys I looked up to, and, uh, Asked the surgeon, hey, did you operate on these? Were you part of, you know, a team that operated on these guys? Um, and he said yes. And at 12 years old, my mind was was kind of blown. Um, like, oh, man, this is so awesome. You know, you, you fixed these pro athletes. Now you're going to fix me. And asked to remain awake during the operation to watch them operate. So with my mom being a nurse, we used to watch surgery shows or cracking chests open and peeling faces back. And I was fascinated as a young kid by this, you know, as it's gross or sick as it sounds. Um, so I watched them operate and, you know, to go in there, clean up my knee, fix up my knee, I thought was like one of the most awesome experiences. <laughs> So at 12, my mind was made up. If I can't be a pro athlete, if I don't make it in, so I play football, basketball, baseball, wrestled a little bit. If I can't make it in one of these sports, I'm going to be somebody that helps athletes get back onto the court, get back onto the field by fixing up their ankles, their knees, their shoulders. So the next year, so Junior Legion State Tournament, 13 years old, playing center field, same thing happened. Tear the same knee, watch them operate on me, just reinforces all yeah, this this idea I want to be an orthopedic surgeon. High school playing quarterback, cyst grow on my wrist, um, ball come back, you know, hit that cyst, 
get this pain up my arm and watch them cut that off. One girl on top of my hand, watch them cut that off. So, again, you know, mine was made up. And so, you know, started undergrad as, as a pre-med major. And how this all comes together is this kind of perfect storm of of me not being able to throw baseball. Um, same time taking anatomies, physiology classes, um, understanding, you know, how the, the brain and how the body work and how they work together really getting an understanding of neurons and performance pathways, um, starting to take some psychology electives. My only exposure to psychology in high school, I remember because it stood out, was literally about five minutes in the um, history class my senior year. So, yeah, undergrad, I started to take some psych electives. And like, okay, like, this makes sense. Now I understand why I like to get yelled at, uh, why some of my teammates didn't like to get yelled at, why certain people get along, why others don't get along. And so essentially just kind of became my own pseudo psychologist uh, therapist because at that time it's and still to this day unfortunately it's suck it up get over it you know bear down on your lip and get out there be a man or be a, you know, be a strong woman um, so nobody at the time was telling me to go and talk to somebody this may be psychological maybe your mind that's letting you down um, so like I said just became my own kind of psychologist, realized that there's a genetic component to this, you know, talked to my mom and dad, you know, understanding they both had anxiety. So the gene was there. Yeah, I'm in this high stressful, I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself. I didn't really know what performance, I had no idea what performance anxiety was, so I couldn't throw a baseball. Um, this diathesis, learn about this diathesis stress model, um, learned that the genetic component I'm in this social situation where things are stressful and boom you know couldn't throw the baseball so it's what baseball players know is the yips and not too many guys come back from that so it took me it took me a little bit um, but I eventually was able to throw again I you know, never made it to, to major league baseball <laughs> um, at one point I was so you know mid-30s I was so kind of gung-ho on trying again my wife's like just go train for it you know parents like go do it uh, so I trained for it and then you know find out go to look for a camp and you got to be 23 and I was 35 at the time <laughs> so just missed um, it. <laughs> yeah yeah um so you know you know to this you know I play adult league softball now so I'm able to throw again do those images you know it's trauma and I think trauma is relative to to people you know we think trauma we think some type of of abuse car accidents um deaths but try I think way I practice psychology trauma is relevant to the person so you know that traumatic experience like I can recall it to this day as vividly you know being standing on that mound not being able to throw a ball um, and with how that felt so because at that time you know I didn't have the guidance to sit and talk to somebody about it I thought you know let me change my major um, so you know worked with my my counselor at the time you know continue to take the the pre-med classes continue to take the psych classes um ended up with a degree in bioevolutionary psychology um to really get an understanding of the mind and body and the evolution of that um you know of the body of the mind and people so this you know what is now a perfect storm happened and i just i don't want somebody to miss out on an opportunity uh, the way i mean who knows who knows where i could have ended up um I had the dedication, I had the focus, I really wanted it. Um, so I don't want, I want to be somebody that helps people, that kind of breaks the stigma and helps people realize their dream and, and provide an understanding that, you know, people think psychology, they think you know, Sigmund Freud, they think sit down, tell me earliest childhood memories. And, and it's not always that, it doesn't always have to be that. So, you know, be, being able to do podcasts like this to, to you know, break the stigma, um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, we're happy to have you on. I think uh, just mindset in general has become so popular over the last, you know, maybe five to seven years, yeah. uh, whether it's like life coaching you see, or if mm -hmm. you go on Instagram or social media, you know, there's a lot of um, uh, basically everybody has a coach for something. Yep. And on our side of things where it's not exactly uh, athletics, it might be strength training, it might be bodybuilding or CrossFit, but each like each category they have a coach for. So now yep. you have a coach for nutrition, you have yep. a coach for, uh, for the actual training program. So it's so, um, divided up, but those people also provide a lot of support. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. uh, it's just been, I, I think it's been really popular and something that's been, um, you know, it's no longer frowned upon. 
So yeah. uh, people are a lot more open saying I have really bad anxiety or, yep. you know, I have issues with this or that. So, yeah, yeah, that's um, and that's how the, the athletes view me as another coach. You know, I, I like to call it neck up training, um, as you were saying that that was really, you know, my wife is kind of like my best you know, business partner, <laughs> business development. You know, we were sitting there thinking because along the way, just kind of being rejected, you know, talking to coaches, uh, you know, I don't need that. You know, my players are tough. We're mentally tough. You know, we'll run through the brick wall. And so, you know, talking with my wife, like, how can we make this breakthrough? And it was that everybody has a coach. So coaches, trainers are looking at the science behind performance. There's a science behind psychology too, you know, this whole neurology and, and understanding, you know, how neurons, you know, fire together, wire together and how the brain and body are connected. So being able to you know, meet with trainers, meet with coaches, meet with players, you know, meet with professional, you know, sports agents and explain psychology in the terms of biology, all the biological mechanisms that are going on. So as much as you're strengthening your biceps, you know, triceps, you know, all this muscle recruitment, muscle memory to hit a jump shot all that starts in the brain. So the healthier the brain is, you know, the better off our, our performance is. So, you know, my wife's like, Oh, like, like start explaining it this way. Um, and that was really a big breakthrough for me. Um, you kind of had to able, dumb it down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because that was always feedback that I got in, in grad school was, you know, I could sometimes be wordy, which I may be on this podcast, a little wordy, <laughs> uh, you know, it was in my papers or, or doing, you know, uh, oral presentation, oral comps, um, being able to kind of integrate and synthesize a lot of information. Um, and, you know, being able to, like you said, kind of like dumb it down or, you know, scale it back and help them help coaches, help players understand the biological aspects of, of how the mind is, is impacting performance. You know, this I just, you know, simply have them just think about your self-talk. And we're having this constant conversation with ourselves, this constant meeting that's going on. Should I do this? Should I not do this? You know, should I push harder? Should I not push harder? Am I tired? Am I not tired? You know, simply looking at self-talk and, you know, knowing that we say 200 to 1,200 words per minute to ourselves. Um, we have about 50 to 60,000 thoughts per day. And this chain reaction that's going on in the brain subconsciously of, you know, we have this self-talk. It's leading to an emotional response. So the emotional response, you know, we feel good or we feel, you know, lousy. We feel, you know, crappy. It's then what's happening in the brain is the brain's releasing certain neurotransmitters, you know, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine. Um, now, what is that doing to the body? You know, if we have this these flow of, of neurotransmitters that we feel help us feel good and relaxed, now we're going to be a little bit more focused, ready to perform you know, on the field, on the court. You know, flip side of that, when our self-talk becomes you know, you know, more on the negative side, you know, that whole chemical reaction slows down. The body starts to release cortisol and stress hormone. Now, now we become a you know, step slower. Um, you know, we lose our focus. We're not able to get into the zone as much. So, uh, yeah, being able to explain... I talk about psychology in terms of biology and neurology, you know, really open the door. And yeah, it's not, you know, it, it's just being another coach in that, in that circle of trust. Um, when you're talking about like the difference between, you know, stress and relax. Yeah. Uh, are there actual like medical markers that you could look at? Like if you were to draw blood from somebody who is uh -huh. a frequent stressor yeah. versus somebody who's constantly relaxed, mm -hmm. like do they have different blood work? Yeah. Cortisol levels. You can look at cortisol levels, um, you know, constant stress, elevated heart rate, you know, things like that. You know, you know, a lot of biofeedback markers are out there to, to look at. And that's you know, something that, you get my wife being the best business uh, <laughs> consultant, you know, something that we've been throwing around is being able to, you know, provide that actually, you know, a step further, that type of proof to players, you know, you, even using simple things like as you're uh, an Apple watch standing on that free throw line, what's your heart rate? Yeah. Um, you know, if your heart rate is, you know, so I like to put players through scenarios. It's, you know, four seconds or two seconds left in the game, the scores, you know, 61, 60, you know, it ends up being a one-on-one -on -one situation. Uh, make, you know, two seconds left, make one shot, you know, miss the other, you're probably going to overtime. The other team can get a shot off in two seconds, not going to be the highest percentage shot. You make both, more likely you're going to win. And, you know, standing there on the court with them and being in their ear and talking to them and kind of, you know, having stereo mimicking noise and, and to you know, raise their heart rate um, 
looking at their you know shooting percentage and then you know going through mindfulness techniques breathing techniques to you know control the sympathetic nervous system to you know sympathetic nervous system is that go 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 um, that fight or flight okay. and being able to engage the parasympathetic nervous system which is the more calm cool collected side um, through just breathing techniques um, a 10 second breath and brings their heart rate down they're able to block out you know the crowd and you know and their their you know i watch their apple watch their heart rate may go from you know 88 to 100 because they're anxious you know down to 75 65 60 um you know, and to me that's you know one of the kind of biomarkers that you know the, the mindfulness stuff is working for them and you see that in a lot of great athletes right i mean yeah. kobe bryant taking you know shots at, with the game on the line he always looked cool calm and collected yep um same thing with guys like peyton manning and tom brady mm-hmm. they always looked really good uh you know when the game was on the line yeah so. yeah big um you know big sports psychology guys you know themselves you know kobe you know starting back you know even before high school you know working on the mental side of the game you know, he he wanted to mimic jordan a lot and yeah you know, i studied i really studied you know, Kobe and, and, and Jordan. And, you know, there was a guy that worked with the Bulls during their, their run, um, George Mumford. Yeah. In reading his book, The Mindful Athlete, it was all about, you know, this, this, we have this hurricane that's going on around us of emotions, of the crowd, of the pressure of ESPN on ESPN and, you know, winning a, an NBA championship. And, you know, all of this is going on in our mind, this, this hurricane, it's, it's a great analogy. And can we find the eye of that hurricane that, you know, in the eye of every hurricane, it's, it's calm, it's sunny, you know, be able to work with players, you know, individually to get them into that eye of the hurricane. Um, you know, Kobe was one of them, you know, Jordan, you know, with, with, you know, George Mumper kind of leading the way. And when Phil Jackson hopped over to uh, the Lakers, you know, George Mumper hopped over with him. Welcome. Yeah. What about like in children? Can mm-hmm. if you have a let's say you have a competitive twelve year old team. Yep. Uh, we were competitive as twelve year olds. You said it sounds like you were as yep. well. Um, can you almost pick out which kids are going to progress based on their attitudes? They may not be the genetic you know player yet. Uh-huh. They may not have the growth spurts or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. But just by looking at their mindset, can you can you start to see which ones are going to you know get further in the game? Yeah. Yeah. Just. <laughs> I'm always looking at, you know, a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And some of the, the greatest coaches, you know, I've had the, the you know, fortune to be around, being fortunate enough to, to you know, be in the, you know, on their campus in their locker rooms. Um, there's a common theme and they they always say talent isn't the best predictor of success. The growth mindset is, and that has always stuck with me. Um, so when, you know, 12 year old, when I get a referral for a 12 year old and, and they're coming in and, they're eager and they want to learn. Um, they want more and um, providing them an understanding of, you know, fixed mindset is, hey, try something once, it didn't go so well. Uh, try something twice, you know, pick up that skill, you know, that crossover dribble. I always hear, you know, want to be like Kyrie Irving and get that, you know, killer crossover. And, um, you know, somebody with a fixed mindset is going to give up on that, even though they may have the, the physical talent, because what happens is emotions interfere. Um, and helping them understand, hey, what are you thinking when you're going, when you're trying this killer crossover? Are you doubting yourself? You know, because simple phrases like, I don't know if I can do this, I can't do this, kind of changes the chemistry of the brain. Um, you know, somebody with a growth mindset is going to be, I tried it once, didn't work, tried it twice, didn't work, tried it three times, didn't work, but I really want it. Um, you know, what can, what can I do? What more can I do? What, you know, what can I say to myself? So, yeah, you know, you can, because um, I get that question a lot. Can you help my son or daughter um, develop that growth mindset? And it's, I say the mind or the brain's the most trainable muscle we have. And, you know, technically it's an organ, but, you know, with all those neuronal pathways, we can um, kind of unwire per se, you know, the, the negative thought patterns, the negative pathways and develop and strengthen more positive um, thought patterns. And that just brings back the science of, of psychology and, you know, again, the neurons that fire together, wire together. And when we're constantly engaging a specific pathway with simple phrases of, I got this, I can do this. Um, when that pathway is firing around, it grows myelin. And as that myelin grows, the electrical impulse for an automatic thought grows faster. Um, so 
you know, working with a kid and developing that growth mindset, yeah, we can kind of technically, you know, rewire the, the brain. It has so much plasticity and ability to kind of bend, mold, and, and grow. It's The brain's an amazing uh amazing organ does it get more difficult as people get older it can yeah yeah you know the kind of ideal time um as far as my work with players is that you know kind of pre-adolescent adolescent age um because you know at that age from a developmental perspective um they're a little bit more independent in the in in their thinking um you know they're be able to kind of self-reflect so bringing in all the clinical aspects of psychology and understanding you know eric erickson's stages of development and um you know so they're they can have some um self-reflection and the ability for you know adolescent to put in the homework you know as far as okay we're spending an hour today you know in the office or on the court or on the field practicing this but you, know, you got six more days until we meet again right. you know for them to have that self-motivation to to do it and you know, with that said i'm always you know, in communication and working with the parents um, letting the parents know hey this is what's going on this is what we're doing these are the things that can be uh, reinforced you know outside of our sessions and these principles aren't just applicable to sports right no great point i'm glad you brought that up because i always say you know sports at some point sports come to an end um so you know, it, this can be for test anxiety. This can be for social anxiety. Um, it's just, you know, sports are the, it's kind of the inroad. Um, yeah, my office, I'm not dressed up like the traditional psychologist, shirt and tie. Um, you know, it's what I have on now. It's kind of pullovers, shorts, sneakers, um, making a more kind of casual, relaxed atmosphere. So sometimes with stigma, you got to kind of work with it um, to work to, you know, work against it, to fight through it. And Sports just becomes the the um, the inlet for the the players. Like, oh, you know, this guy's just going to talk to you about you know, sports and sports anxiety. I can say with you know, sitting here, about ninety nine point nine percent of the individuals I work with, it always ends up clinical. It's like being able to apply it to test taking, social anxiety settings, um, overcoming phobias. Um, you know, I know I mentioned Freud in the beginning and I'm, you know, I like Freud. I, I thought he was an odd individual in the beginning till I really sat down and kind of really digested, uh, what he was about and viewing the whole person, um, you know, from childhood to now and getting them to understand them to be able to apply techniques individually is, um, is important. So, what would you see in similarity between, uh, you know, a high-functioning, let's mm -hmm. say, high school basketball player, and maybe a high-functioning, you know, CEO of a, you know, relatively large company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. So it's just it's that kind of you know, growth mindset. You know, it's it's really that you know appreciation for knowing that you know I I have the talent to get there. It's it's something that um it's my mind that's blocking me. You know, it's I always say the mind can be the, the gateway to success or the roadblock that you hit and you know things kind of fall apart. Um, so that's you know, really it's that that growth mindset or you know, wanting to develop that growth mindset is something that's uh, shared. So if we were to break down the, the growth mindset, mm -hmm. we're basically looking at you know uh, attempt one, you know failure. Yep. And then analyzing the results of that, saying, how can I do it better? Yep. Trying it again, yep. analyzing, how yep. can I do it better? And just constantly doing that until you're paving your way for success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, you know, and understanding, and I, I never tell individuals that you're going to be frustrated. Um, somebody comes in with anxiety, say we're going through the developing this growth mindset, you're going to feel anxious. Um, you know, you're, you're going to be frustrated. You know, as a psychologist, I'm not telling you to not feel that way. Like, I want you to accept that feeling. Um, so this idea of, of, I like to come up with acronyms, so acronym ACT. So we want to, you know, act on, um, you know, we want to do you know, certain actions or, or acts to, to get to where we want to be. So ACT for, for the mental training side is acceptance, commitment, and training. So accept that I feel this way, accept that it's my emotions that may be blocking it, commit to, you know, whatever techniques we're working on is it you know the self-talk am i applying mindfulness skills am i looking at the different levels of confidence and then moving forward with the training um so uh, yeah you know it's it's you know hit the roadblock understand the emotional piece grow you know try again 
hit the roadblock, understand the emotional side, you know, try again. Where does discipline fall in line with, uh, Uh with kind of the the growth mindset? Yeah. So, um, structure is, is really important, um, for success. Is that for everybody? Both personality types? I think so. Um, there has to be some type of structure. I, I believe, you know, that's, you know, the, every, the, the players that I work with, um, yeah, and, and I say players cause you know, we're talking sports psych, but you know, I work with a lot of CEOs, CFOs, professionals. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, how do we structure your day? So again, so bringing in the Freud and the clinical side, getting to know the individual, kind of what makes them tick, what makes them click, what doesn't, um, and being able to structure out their day for them to maximize, for them to reach their goal. Um, right. So you know, trying to minimize procrastination and, you know, we, we do need downtime. Um, you know, a lot of, so, sometimes I'll get you know, referrals from parents or agents or coaches or, or just the players themselves saying, you know, can you make me a pro, you know, change my mindset and, you know, can you make my son or daughter a pro, um, you know, 24 seven, you know, they got to be so like kind of disciplined and you, know, you got to have breaks, you got to have hobbies, you got to have other things that you do because burnout is, is real. Um, you know, a lot of studies out there with burnout. So, so how do we you know, individualize the discipline to that person to get the most out of them? So again, it it's just comes down to really spending time with with the with the kids, with the players, with the families, to structure their day um, for them to reach their goals. And we're breaking down the goals and making them um, the acronym out there, pretty common acronym, you know, SMART goals. So you know, things that are specific, measurable, attainable. Um, and measuring their small successes along the way, that just provides positive reinforcement. Um, but, you know, if, as people, we're really great at procrastinating. It's tomorrow's another day. I'll get to it tomorrow. Um, you know, I'll start next week. You know, we got New Year's coming, the New Year's resolutions. And, right. um, you know, being able to, you know, well, so what I'll do is you know, we'll go through a week and we will go literally hour by hour and kind of, structure their day um you know we're looking at sleep we're looking at you know i'm not you know a physician but we're looking at you know a lot of studies out there on sleep and how that impacts the way we perform day to day nutrition not a nutritionist um, but you know kind of how you feel in your body when are we going to build into your day the mental training you know so we're working on mindfulness so you got 15 minute mindfulness exercise at what point are you going to get the most out of it in the morning you wake up or you're somebody that's kind of groggy it takes you 10 minutes to get up well we're not going to do it in that first you know half hour we're going to do it um you know in that next hour um so yeah i think um you know structure and and discipline um is important to to attaining goals i don't you know i get this a lot from the younger kids especially it's like oh you know lebron james is he just you know they can just go out there and just play like you know and then when I sit there and I tell like LeBron James, like his day is struggling. He's putting a lot of work as far as his strength training, mental training, um, you know, getting 500 shots up during the day. You know, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. You know, all you're seeing is the final product. He was in the gym the day after he won the championship. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Um, you know, there's, you know, Eric Thomas, I listen to a lot of the you know, motivational and he talks about Emmett Smith. I know there's a little bit older, but they have to the Super Bowl, you know, being in the, in the gym and, and lifting weights and, you know, having paused for a second, you know, that was his break. Um, so yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes, physical training, mental training that, you know, the average person doesn't see or understand. Not to go too far down a rabbit hole here, uh-huh. but do you find that, uh, older generations had an easier time with discipline? Um, I do. I think, you know, just, you know, looking at, at my parents, they, you know, I, I really appreciate and, and you know, respect, obviously I respect my parents, but, uh, you know, appreciate the discipline that was in place for us. You know, little things, as, even as chores, you know, making sure, you know, we had chores to get done each day. You know, if, if you know, we wanted to, if we wanted something, we had to earn it. Um, it just wasn't kind of given to us. And what I see a lot of times is, um, yeah, this idea of where, where everybody kind of gets a trophy and everything's okay. And, and everybody's, you know, it's just, everything's always great. Um, and this is not to be offensive to anybody. You know, we, I know parents want the best for their, their sons or daughters and they want them to feel good. 
the byproduct of that is you know, when it comes time to kind of face the quote unquote real world and adversity hits, um, then we see a, a kind of huge mental breakdown, depression, anxiety kind of skyrockets because um, along the way there was no kind of structure. There was no um, you know, discipline or I say none, but um, you know, so I think, yeah, the older generation, um, there was a lot more um, structure along the way and you know, it's kind of passed down to me and I'm very, very thankful because I don't think, I don't think I've been able to get through grad school, um, you know, working full time, going to school full time, you know, I had to be very structural when I got my, my work done, you know, having to kind of look at my get up at five in the morning on a Saturday and write my papers or on a Sunday uh, when I, you know, could sleep in. So, yeah, that's a great question. When when we have customers come into the store, um, like 50 percent of people, when you start talking about about meal planning and mm-hmm. meal prepping, which is really popular, uh, you know, the first thing out of their mouth is I can't do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe they work overnights or, uh-huh. you know, maybe they're a police officer and they yeah. work, you know, four tens or four twelves, you know, yeah. kind of a crazy schedule. Yeah. Um, but there's only somebody who's in that position that's already doing it. Correct. Right. So yep. they can do it. Yep. Uh, but there's just this huge barrier there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the, that's your primitive brain. That's your hind brain kind of full effect is what you're seeing. You know, the, our primitive brain, our hind brain, or, um, I call it sometimes reptilian brain is it's always like looking it wants to keep us safe emotionally it wants to keep us safe physically so it's viewing our environment it's always analyzing our environment um so you know anything that challenges us emotionally um that we're kind of already kind of pre-programmed to say i can't do that or no because it's safer emotionally um and if we continue with that narrative we're just setting ourselves up for failure ultimately at the end um so that self-talk is so important it's like well why why do you think you can't and, and really digging in and um you know getting an understanding and then being able to break down their day to say yeah you can um is that developed as a child though what's that that the first thing like without even processing mm-hmm. you know oh well i might be able to move this meal over here and do yeah. a you know a shake on the go over here yeah. uh without even trying to work through it their first conclusion is that I cannot do this. Yeah, usually, yeah, most of the time it's just innate. We're kind of born with that, that, you know, hind brain, you know, thankfully, you know, we have this frontal lobe, which is all, our, all of our executive functioning, and we can problem solve and think through things. So, you know, again, being able to explain the biology, like this is why your initial reaction is this. It's something, you know, it's maybe no fault to your own. It's just your brain wants to keep you safe. Um, so, but let's tap into this frontal lobe and let's talk through this. Um, let's work it out. And sometimes you got to put it on paper and, and help them understand, help individuals understand. Yeah, I, I guess I can do this when I, when I see it. Um, and that's a big thing with players, helping them, you know, yeah, every player I work with, I want them to keep a performance journal. You know, the men I tease them, it's like kind of dear diary. Uh, it's like what's in your diary for today or the last week. Um, but you know, when when people see things written out and it's kind of a lost art, you know, writing things down, um, we always think we're going to remember, and usually we don't. Um, but when we can write it out, we can usually see because now we're engaging another sense. Like, okay, um, there is an opportunity to change, and that's you know, again. In, helping them understand, engage that, that frontal lobe and that, that kind of higher level thinking. When you talk about the dear diary thing, uh-huh. are you talking about writing your emotions down or writing down like tomorrow's tasks? So that way it's already in your head and it makes you more efficient. Uh, both, oh. uh, both. Yeah. Um, this whole, you may have seen it, this, this iceberg model of success and, you know, it's kind of in, in a lot of classrooms or maybe in you know sports locker rooms. Uh, and this again, where clinical psychology comes into play and thinking about, you know, Sigmund Freud and this iceberg model of the mind. And um, we just kind of stuff our emotions. We stuff, we stuff, we stuff, um, you know, suck it up, get over it. Um, but the brain ultimately needs a process. You know, it's just it's like putting a pot of water on a on a burner. Um, you know, it's on low. You know, most of the time, most people, it's on low. You know, some days we kind of simmer. Um, but as stress turned, you know, as stress rises, it's that, that knob on the, the oven that kind of turns the medium. Now we start to boil. Um, now we're in a high pressure situation. We're putting a lot of pressure on ourselves. You know, that knob is on high and that water kind of boils over. And, you know, same thing with us as people. We, we boil over. Um, you know, we may, 
kind of lash out or kick something or throw something or somebody's on the the end of our you know kind of tongue lashing and at the end it's this cathartic moment where we feel good and then we're like oh my god what did i just do um so writing so uh, you know i always encourage the athletes um to write things down um you know they'll text me they'll say like hey 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 rick hey neff hey you know doc you're the, the the trash can for the day you're the you're the dump you know i need to get this out you know pre-game um or just during the day maybe they had a, a a fight with a spouse or a coach and always want players to get get things out um, the more we stuff the more likely we're to you know explode to pop so yeah they're writing down emotions but also planning the day setting small goals um, after practice, they're looking at their goals. You know, did I reach them? Why didn't I reach them? Um, so there's a lot of kind of processing and analyzing that goes on. Is there a time of day that works better for that? Um, it can. It's individualized with the with the players. Um, you know, some players, you know, if it's a, a good practice, they're more likely to kind of pull out that, uh, um, you know, that that journal and, and write things down in the locker room or as soon as they get get home a bad practice bad game um you know, we each player we pick a point in time that we have to we have to feel angry we have to feel frustrated we can't pretend that those feelings aren't there you know, the more that we ignore it the more it's going to come back it's like the annoying brother or sister it keeps like you know kind of jabbing you and jabbing you and jabbing you that's what emotions do if we don't process them um so everybody's different and sometimes we bring the symbolicism of once I cross the threshold of walking out of the locker room, like, so I'll, you know, sit in the locker room and, and think about it. You know, don't you know, give yourself a time limit. Don't stay there all day. Yeah, um, well. you know, but as soon as I walk over that, that cross that threshold, I'm going to let it go. Um, um, you know, it could be this, the slam of the door. So I'm going to slam, you know, that negative emotion shut, um, you know, walking home, you know, or, or, you know, coming home and, and pulling that door shut and you know, slamming that door shut. Um, that's when they each, you know, some players will let it go. Do you think there's anything to uh, like imaginary thresholds? Uh, my first ever, the, the guy that got me into powerlifting uh-huh. at the time, he was like 80 years old. I was 19 uh-huh. and he's like, you're kind of strong. You should consider it. And uh, one of the things he always told me is you do not touch the bar unless you're ready. Yep. You're, I mean, a hundred percent ready. Yep. Yeah, there's no rubbing your hands on it for a few minutes and trying to psych yourself up. Uh-huh, like uh-huh. you don't approach the platform yep. until you're ready. What's what is that? So if we're and I, I smile because I you know I've got really heavy into CrossFit and competing in CrossFit. So oh, cool. you know same yeah. thing with the Olympic lifts. It's you know learning the you know the snatch, the clean and jerk. You know don't touch that bar till you're ready. You know don't start that workout till your mindset is ready. And me already having a you know the background in psychology and. Um, you know, if we're, if we're looking, you know, at that bar of, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to clean this weight, you know, I got 225 on the bar. If you're introducing doubt into your mind, your body's going to tense up. So what happens now you're more susceptible to injury. Now you're more susceptible to missing the lift. Um, I always say when the mind's tight, the body's tight. Um, so, you know, we go to, to clean that weight, you know, whether it's power clean, squat clean, um, we miss it because our mindset is, I don't know if I can do this. Now we set ourselves up again to be injured. We set ourselves up for you know, this kind of negative thinking of, I don't know if I can do this. Why did I miss it? So now we start to overanalyze um, and we're starting to engage those negative performance pathways in the brain. So now we get frustrated, we get angry. And a lot of athletes think, you know, you know let me just get angry. Let me get frustrated. Let me attack this bar. Um, and they miss again. Then they get more angry, and they miss, you know, and they're just working against themselves. So, going, approaching the bar, you know, with a, you know, a, the right type of mindset, you know, clearing the mind, um, the self-talk. You know, again, everybody's different. So you may be kind of flooding your mind with, "I got this. I can do this. You know, I practiced this a million times. I'm going to hit this clean. It's just 225." You know, what it's doing is making the body feel confident. Um, you know, this whole idea of, of called train and trust. Uh, when it comes to performing, you know, players stop trusting themselves because they start to overanalyze. They get in their head too much. Um, so you know, having them trust their training, reminding themselves of their self-talk, you know, you know, take powerlifting, for example, you know, they, they approach that bar with that mindset of, I can do this. And so what research shows is now you're more likely to, to hit that. And if you don't, 
um, approaching it with a more kind of positive, confident mindset, you're still going to, if you miss it, you're probably more than likely going to be in a growth mindset versus, you know, that fixed mindset of, I just can't do this. So if we can kind of break down the, the platform idea, yeah. I like, I, I, I don't do Olympic weightlifting, okay. um, but I think they, they kind of have a platform set up as yep. well, right? Yeah. In competition. Yeah. So uh, if you're not allowing yourself to go onto the platform until you're mentally ready, mm-hmm. you're taking any additional thoughts out of the equation. Right. Right. Because you're, you're only doing up there. There's no thinking. Right. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, again, bringing in that primitive part of the brain, the brain wants to protect us. So it's going to try to talk us out of it, you know, because if I miss this lift, I got people in the audience that are going to look at me and be like, oh, why did he miss? You know, I'm going to doubt myself. The judges are going to be like, why is this guy even here? Um, so again, that, that primitive brain is viewing that platform as a threat, threat to self, your self-esteem, your self-worth. Um, it's going to try to talk you out of it. So you got to talk yourself into it. You know, you know, a lot of different mindfulness exercises <clears throat> to focus. You know, you kind of approach that bar knowing, okay, I'm going to approach it. Um, you know, if I got to pause, I got to kind of clear my mind out again. You're, you're, you're breaking down the lift into like, you know, grab the bar. What do I do? What do, I do? And then it's, it's just kind of one, two, three, go. Um, and when we can keep our mind clear, the body's more likely to just do what it needs to do. Um, what, so. what about in terms of like endurance? Mm-hmm. Uh, because you're you're processing so many different thoughts and you have mm-hmm. such a long period of time. Yeah. Right. So Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting. Yep. I mean, it's a three second thing. Yeah. Um, but guys like David Goggins that run 150 <laughs> miles or whatever it is. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what's the difference in that? Uh-huh. Yeah. Great question. Um, David Goggins is great. I, I'm, I'm re-listening to his audiobook again. Um, there's so much good mindset stuff in there. Um, and I automatically think about again LeBron James, and you know he's kind of, uh, known for saying like fatigue is you know it's it's fifty percent mental. Um, again, we have this internal mechanism that is it, it, we've got to store energy, we got to store glycogen just in case. You know the brain's going to need it, the body's going to need it for this fight or flight. Um, so once we get down to about fifty percent, the brain, the subconscious brain is going to start sending signals of stop you're tired you're fatigued it's going to send signals to the muscles um if we can get to a point where we can talk ourselves through like hey i still got 50 percent left in the tank like i can still go um we'll, we'll keep going then what happens is you know this this pain starts to so pain is our you know can be our friend um a pain sets in so now we got to work through you know it's a signal to stop Again, you know, unless you're you're actually physically injured, um, of course you want to stop. You don't want to right work. You know, you don't want to injure yourself more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there are some athletes that do it. Um, you know, I, I think Drew Brees from the weekend, where crushed ribs, you know, collapsed lung, he goes back on the field. He wants to play, um, but um, yeah, with the endurance is you know, pain's going to start to set in. And again, it's mental. It's it's knowing that you know, these are just signals from the brain telling me to stop because my primitive brain wants me to slow down and stop. So self-talk really comes into to play uh, with endurance, you know, really paying attention to that, you know, what you're saying to yourself, really kind of being your own psychologist in the moment, you know. If you're running a marathon or doing an Ironman, um, yeah, you're by yourself. You know, it's just you, you and you, you, know, you and your brain. Um, yeah, I was, uh, we were training the other day, and uh, one of my training partners, he's really into watching CrossFit, uh-huh. even though he's a powerlifter. Uh-huh. And he was telling me that the, um, I guess during the, the final five, I think it is, uh, they completed their entire wad, and right at the end when they crossed the finish line, they said, you know, do it in reverse. Yeah. And uh, I, I can only imagine what that would do to somebody psychologically where, yeah. you, you know, you're telling yourself this is the final line. I'm crossing it. Yep. And you're telling yourself I'm about to relax and you have to do it all over again. Yeah. 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 Again, it's that it's it's a lot of those CrossFit athletes um, really understand the mental side. And it, it's knowing if I stop and I think about it too much, I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to talk myself out of it. Um, so knowing I just got to go. Um, I got to block everything out from my mind and just go. Um, yeah. Yeah. With, uh, we talked about like anxiety and calming it, especially mm-hmm. with free throws and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a point where adrenaline can be beneficial though? Oh yeah. Yeah. So kind of perfect mix of 
um, you know, sports performance from a psychological perspective is, yeah, we got to have a little bit, you know, anxiety is, can be our friend and we can have a little bit of adrenaline to, to keep us going. Um, and we don't want to completely get rid of a adrenaline. So great question. Yeah. I, when I think of like completely calm, I think of a bunch of Buddhist monks, you know, playing football <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that probably wouldn't work out too well. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got, you know, being able to, we don't want adrenaline to go into overdrive. So, you know, again, being able to understand each athlete, understand their barometer of, of what's too much and what's too little and finding that, that in between, um, to go, you know, and, and, you know, Sometimes when the mind is saying stop, slow down, you know, we're at that 50% threshold of, of being fatigued and being able to kind of tap into that, you know, self-talk where it's like, you know, come on, let's go. You got this. Like, you know, there are times where we can, you know, say some pretty negative things, you know, I guess, yeah, negative things ourselves that get us pumped up, get us fired up. Um, it gets the adrenaline going. Would you say that um, the higher the amount of adrenaline, the shorter the burst of uh, energy yeah okay yeah yeah it's whole kind of you know curve so you know it's just you know that bell-shaped curve uh you know that we learn and uh, i learned it seventeen thousand times <laughs> through school through statistics um but you know you know being kind of under that umbrella is you know ideally where we want to be for uh sports performance when it comes to you know energy and adrenaline yeah, I we uh, again training this past week. Um, my training partner's much stronger than I am. He's a much bigger guy. Uh, last week he squatted um, a pretty substantial amount of weight for uh, I think it was 14 reps, right? Okay. And this week he wanted to beat that. It's our last training uh, block before we we change everything up, uh-huh. and uh, so he has one more chance to beat that previous number, and this is it. And he got overhyped. And he exerted too much energy on the first like five reps and he couldn't go the distance, even though he was moving the weight faster in the beginning, he burned himself out and he didn't have the gas to keep going. Yeah. 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 Your your body's going to get shot. There's, you know, classic research on, on adrenaline. You kind of get get shot with that adrenaline you go too much and bringing in the CrossFit, you know, know, understanding pacing. Um, so again, really understanding your mind and your body and how it works together. Um, so are there any sports out there that um when you look at it you just think like mentally these are the the toughest people um rugby (laughs) um you know go out there know how much kind of you know run into each other uh yeah i don't know i think you know each sport you know in all honesty poses its own mental challenges um you know any sport, you know, whether it's NBA or even, you know, curling, you know, right. curling can be stressful and people are like, okay, they're just kind of tossing a rock down the, the ice and rushing, but yeah. talk about adrenaline, you know, you're, you're brushing too fast, brushing too slow. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know as far as when it comes to you know, toughness, I just think they each pose their own, their own challenge. I guess when you, uh, when you get up to the top level on anything, yeah, you have to kind of have a superior mind to get there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And to sustain it because of all the pressures that, that come with sustaining you know, that, you know, because, you know, being a professional or reaching the, the top in your sport, you know, you're like less than 1% of the individuals in that sport across the world. And, you talk about professional sports and, and, you know, money and max contracts. And sometimes, you know, players can overplay themselves. Um, they're putting in too much effort, as silly as it sounds, that you know, they're going out and they're like, what is going on? Like, why, you know, past two years I've been averaging 20 points, you know, seven rebounds, four or five assists, and now I'm – there's a max contract here. Like, I, I came out on fire. Like, I should be, like, you know, I got all this, you know, hype because I want to earn this – $200 million contract and, and their stats are dipping and it, it's it's just that pressure yeah they're trying too hard um, so we can try too hard and we're working against ourselves mentally huh. uh, what's your take on like influence of music huge like it, it's a big part of again what I do um, a lot of research out there on, on music so again getting to know, you know in each individual um, you know a lot of studies out there on you know, piano music. So, you know, what piano music does, no lyrics. Um, you know, it, there's, it's not Beethoven, it's not Mozart. We kind of have the you know the the ups and downs. It's just a, it's that kind of boring music that you hear like in the elevator. Yeah. Right, put you to sleep. Um, 
So, you know, if, it, if an athlete is kind of naturally more hype, more anxious, and they have a hard time settling down and staying focused during the day until they get to their, um, get to the locker room and get prepared, like I'm asking them to listen to um, piano music because what it's doing is tapping into the brain waves. They're, you know, it can explain the science, the beta, alpha, theta, delta brain waves. You know, music is tapping into that, so it's relaxing the brain. It's bringing down the heart rate. We're not burning through so much energy. So now when it comes time to get onto the court, onto the field, our emotional energy is still up, physical energy is still up, so we can make it through the game. Um, there is a point in time, though, that we do got to have that adrenaline. You know, there's some players that got to get pumped up, so... Again, knowing each player individually, we pick a period of time where we flip over to that hype music, um, whatever it may be for that player. Um, you know, Drake, you know, yeah. whatever it some, is, you know, heavy metal, rap, music, rap you times, know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, music is, in, in even after the game, if a player has a big game and they can't settle, you know, I'm asking them to listen to piano music. And usually when I'm, when I'm doing that, they're looking at me strange. And, you know, with Reading High School, you know, one of the – the you know, first basketball teams that I work with at the high school level, you know, asking the players to listen to piano music on that bus ride, they're like, "Man, if I ain't doing that, like, I, I, come on!" Like, I, I, I said, "Just try it once. Just try it once." Um, a lot of pressure on that team. You know, a lot of talent on that team to to um, you know kind of run the state, and I could sense that. And you know, having them you know, not listen to their their normal music and listen to piano music on the bus rides, like they were like yeah that kind of that really works like you know i did feel i, I had more energy um, during the game so yeah i think music is is important um even you know we look at what's going on now with covid and and not having fans in in the stadiums or in the arenas like players kind of thrive off of that emotional kind of energy transfer and you know penn state guy and seeing what's going on with penn state i i <laughs> part of me wants to, to say you know, we, we don't got 110,000 in yeah. Beaver Stadium against Ohio State you know let's uh, not kind of feeding off that energy but you know like, I, I bring that up along the same lines as, as music you know, there's emotional energy transfer that that comes from uh, music you know can either get us get us the adrenaline going get us hype or kind of keep us in a more calm cool collected state by trying to connect the dots from the earlier conversation with uh, cortisol. Uh -huh. uh, so if you have a certain type of music that hypes you up, you yep. mentioned Drake, we'll just use that for the uh -huh. example. Uh, now, if you listen to that, let's say you have a, uh, you don't have a game that day, mm -hmm. but you're listening to your hype music all day. Yeah. Does that have a burnout effect? Can yeah. that put you into fight or flight a little bit? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think it can. Yeah. We, you know, this whole idea, it just, you know, alarm you know we have this alarm we have this resistance we have this exhaustion it's kind of one of a, a classic uh, theory in, in psychology so um we look at the music you know we it's the, the initial alarm kind of gets us going um the body's you know the brain or brain and body are going to resist a little bit they'll start to exert you know cortisol the exhaustion phase you're going to get a constant state of cortisol um so yeah i think listening to something that just keeps your heart rate up all the whole of the time is going to put you in a um, so we talk about that bell curve when it comes to adrenaline, you know, it'll put you towards that tail end and you're going to be fatigued, um, probably be fatigued by, so we're most tired about eight hours after we wake up. If we're listening to, you know, you know hype music all day from morning, we'll probably be ready to fall asleep about, you know, mid, mid more or like beginning of the afternoon. Okay. So what about, uh, caffeine? How does that come into play? Uh -huh. Um, so caffeine yeah, stimulant, um, it's just, you know, it's gotta be monitored. Uh, you know, I always refer the individuals to, uh, uh, you know, their physician, you know, everybody's body is a little bit different when it comes to their ability to, to, you know, handle the caffeine. Um, I kind of, you know, addicted to buying <laughs> energy drinks. So yeah. I like I have a tolerance, you know, this whole idea of tolerance to caffeine. Um, so it can it just depends on the player if they're naturally naturally anxious and you know they're taking you know energy drinks or drinking monsters their heart rate's going to stay it's going to kind of go up even higher um, they're going to burn through their physical energy uh, faster so come third quarter fourth quarter they're fatigued um, and i often get the question well i put in all this physical training why am i getting tired uh, third quarter of a basketball game uh, like why am I ready to just you know 
sit on the bench and, and take a nap. Yeah. And so again, you know, we break down, we analyze their day, and, and oftentimes, you know, and today, you know, the caffeine, you know, the pre-workouts, like I, don't know, like I like pre-workouts. Um, <laughs> so you know, coffee shops in high school. Coffee now. shop, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there are benefits to caffeine as far as stimulating the frontal lobe and, and you know helping with attention. Um, but there's also the detriment of too much caffeine and you know causing physical energy to burn faster. So. I, uh, along with the other guy that I trained with that I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, uh, we have another friend and he's a little bit more amateur in his training. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> oftentimes, you know, he, he gets to a point where there's four or five reps left uh-huh. and the bar on the, uh, is moving just fine. And he just stops. He said, that's all I got. And he gets up and he's, you know, he's done. We can't get him to kind of break through that, uh-huh. Uh-huh. like that, that thought that he's even close to done. Um, because if you watch the speed, you know, the speed hasn't changed from rep one to, let's say, rep yeah, 10. Yeah. So why would he be stopping then? Like, yeah. what, what what does somebody like me, like, uh-huh. what do I tell him? Uh-huh. Yeah, what, what immediately comes to my mind is the fear of failure. Like, it's the what ifs. What if I don't get it? Um, and what that, that does to somebody's self-esteem and, and sense of self-worth, uh, especially when they're around. So if it's an amateur that's around, um, you know, others that are more experienced like yourself, you know, as people, we're constantly judging ourselves. Um what's this person going to think about me if I don't, you know, I don't get those extra four or five reps. Um, so he's kind of playing, you know, I don't know him, but what I think is he's playing it safe emotionally. And it's a very subconscious process. So let me stop here. It's safe. I feel good. You know, they're not going to be mad at me because I'm still, you know, I'm still moving some good weight. Um, and I'll just, I'll pause here and you know, everybody's happy. That's interesting. Yeah. That's probably yeah. exactly what it is. <laughs> uh, I, I don't have, um, too much left but i I did want to kind of touch on uh like anxiety yeah um just because everybody seems to have anxiety right um but i I was diagnosed with with anxiety as as a kid Uh um but i always found that there's a difference between being anxious and having anxiety would you agree yeah yes i mean looking at it from a clinical perspective so if, if anxiety is interfering with your ability to function during the day uh, whatever that functioning may be, whether it's sports, you know, lifting weights, school, work, uh, giving a, a um, you know, a presentation. Yeah, that's like clinical level of anxiety. A little bit of anxiousness. Anxiety is a self-protective mechanism. We all have anxiety. Um, we all experience, you know, you know that, you know, a little bit of, you know, because it just makes us question, you know, our environment. It's just, you know, am I safe? Am I not safe? So if it's interfering with your ability to accomplish or complete a task, um, yeah, then it's more like a a clinical level of of anxiety. That's kind of one of the hallmarks that I look for as a psychologist. Is it interfering um, with your ability to accomplish what you want to accomplish? That's a good way to put it. Do you have anything else that we didn't touch on? Um, I mean, I could sit here and talk for days. (laughs) (laughs) Is there Uh, anything that's, uh, you know, right on on the tip of your tongue? um, Just the... Yeah, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to to do the podcast. Um, yeah. You know, I, I always hop on you know these opportunities because of the stigma associated with it. Um, yeah, we are starting to see it, you know, chip away. You know, um, yeah, there are you know, I can sit here and say you know there are more there are more people. Um, I think meeting with a, a therapist, a psychologist um, today than than ever before, um, even pre COVID. Um, because of the the benefit, because stigma is kind of being chipped away. Uh, with more and more athletes talking about the mental preparation, the mental side, um, yeah, I always think you know Demar Derozan and, and Kevin Love, you know, kind of pioneering that in the NBA. Demar Derozan talking about depression, Kevin Love t- talking about anxiety, and meeting with therapists and working through it. Um, you know, it, it's it's opened the door for a lot more people to understand maybe how they're feeling and getting help isn't bad. You know, not everybody who experiences depression, anxiety is that psychopathic killer that is <laughs> portrayed in, in, you know, kind of everyday media. It's like, Oh, you think mental health, we think, you know, you know, schizophrenia, um, you know, it's this taboo of, of sitting down and talking to somebody and talking about how we feel. Uh, but I can say the men I work with, we're sitting we're just having a conversation you know i'm not sitting there i'm not judging um so you know 
really appreciate the opportunity to you know, kind of explain psychology, explain performance psychology, clinical psychology, um, and you know, hopefully whoever's listening be able to you know, have a different perspective on the benefits that it can provide. Yeah, we appreciate you making the drive out here. Um, do you have uh, any social media preference? Like, are you bigger on Twitter or Instagram? Uh, or? Yeah, that's one thing. <laughs> I didn't grow up with it, so I, I have it. Um, I'm not as good as I should be with it. So I'm on Facebook, um, just you know, under Rick Neff uh, or Inner Edge Sports Psychology. Uh, Instagram, it's Doctor Dr. Rick dot neff um same thing with twitter um i haven't quite gotten snapchat down <laughs> yeah we just uh, skipped it all together <laughs> yeah and I, I, I try a lot of the, the players you know i work with try to teach me snapchat uh i'll, I'll stay with the uh i guess the big three yeah the big three <laughs> uh, but i guess the big snapchat is a part of the big three for the others a lot of the young they're like facebook you're old like but. Snapchat just takes too much uh, constant use. Yeah. You know, everything else is more permanent. Snapchat yeah. goes away, so you have to constantly be be on it. Yeah. I mean, who has time for that? Younger yeah. people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I know. So. I sure. I don't. <laughs> but cool. We'll put your uh, your handle and everything underneath on the okay. video. And uh, you know, guys, uh, thank you for tuning in. Episode twenty. Uh, surprised we made it this far. Uh, but thanks again for coming out. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah.